please stand for the reading of God's word? Today's reading is from Psalm 89, 1 through 4. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever in the heavens. You will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. You may be seated. Good morning. It, is a, it actually is a beautiful morning, right? We savor those. We don't have that many of them in Buffalo, right? You get like a, there's like a list, you know, there's like a paper this long and you have this many nice days in Buffalo and so you have to take advantage of them, you know, as they come. That's true. If you like the snow, then there's a lot of nice days in Buffalo, but, but if you don't like the snow so much, not so much. So we are concluding our series today. We, uh, you know, our series, We Are Family. And today is our topic called Milestones. And uh, it's funny in life, (laughs) at work, you ever feel like at work, nobody, like, knows who you are unless you do something wrong? (laughs) Right? That's how I feel at work. I'm, I'm quality control, so that's doubly true for me. I'm like, I'm like the toilet at work. Nobody notices me unless I make a mistake. It's just like the plumbing in your house. Nobody notices the plumbing unless something goes wrong, and then all of a sudden everyone notices your plumbing. We have a tendency to create narratives in our heads, right? Especially when things aren't quite right, things aren't quite the way we like. We make problems a lot of times much bigger than they are. <laughs> uh, we, we, the person who made the mistake, tell me this has never happened to you in your head, okay? Someone else makes a mistake that you have to fix. And so now that person, it doesn't matter, even if they bought you coffee like the day before and they're a super nice person, that person automatically becomes the worst person on the face of the earth, <laughs> right? Like, just this side of Satan, Right? Because just because they made a mistake that you have to fix. Right? Okay. But we don't like it when that happens to us, but we definitely do it. I know I've done it in my head to people before. I've definitely had to be like, you know what, Lord, like that was terrible <laughs> when I just thought about that person in my head. We have a tendency to create stories, right? A lot of times facts only matter in the way they only matter in how we insert them into the story we think we're telling. Okay, so, you know, we have number X, and we fit it inside a story that's our life, and there, then the number matters. But if the number 25 means nothing to us unless there's a point. Like my sister-in-law, uh, she's celebrating her 25th birthday this year, so we're kind of making a big deal of it uh, just because we can. And, uh, but like, that number matters to her now, but it will matter to her less next year, right? Or she might look on it with longing, wishing that it would come back, but, uh, <laughs> but it will matter to her less next year. We have a tendency to want to build up these stories in our minds, and they're built out of 
things we remember that are important, right? So we can call those things milestones. They might be uh, when your children are born. I know for me that's a major one right now. I, I uh, you know, Scarlett is seven weeks old. And uh, it might be your first paycheck, like the first time you went to work, you came home and somebody paid you for your work. It might be um, the first time you looked in the mirror and thought, wow, I can stand how I look now. It might be the first time or maybe the only time where you didn't know how you were going to pay your bills and maybe somebody bought you some groceries. It might be a baptism. It might be the first time you made a decision to follow Christ. It might be when so-and-so got elected or not elected. We set milestones, and we use them as markers to tell the story of our lives. We use them as grids through which to view our lives. All the other mundane things we do, right? I don't love going to my job. I work at a factory in Clarence. It's not a bad place to work, but I would much rather spend my time doing other things because I have other passions. I go to work doing my job because I have a wife and a daughter that I have to help. I have to contribute to what we have going on. So I do that. That thing that I do that I don't particularly love, I do because I love them. So the milestone, especially Scarlet now, that milestone colors the way that I do that job. It changes the way that I do. It changes the way I think about it. And that's true in our lives in general. We have these big moments that tell us how we should view the smaller moments. Israel lived its whole life this way. We read in Psalm 89, 1 through 4 just now, the author of the psalm is looking back to the love of God, thinking about the present, and then looking forward to what God is going to do when he brings David's offspring. This is how Israel lived its whole life. A lot of times, when people think of the Old Testament, um, sometimes dust spontaneously appears in their mouth. And uh, they're like, why are we talking about this? You know, it's such a long time ago. Which is funny, because it's actually not that much longer ago than the New Testament was written. Uh, but I like the Old Testament because it helps us to see Jesus in a light that makes much better sense otherwise. Like, if we try to look at Jesus from our 21st century point of view, right, it's kind of hard. You know, we can't really understand what he's doing, what he's saying. But if we can look at him from the other way, then we can. And so the reason for that is because God used the milestones in Israel's history to tell us what he was doing when Jesus came. Just like Israel is holding on to these things and they're hoping that God is going to do something. So I want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Right. Deuteronomy 16, I'm going to start with verse 1. Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock 
or the herd at the place the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt in haste. That all the days of your life you may remember the day you came out of the land of Egypt. No leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the flesh that you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain all night until morning. You may not offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, but at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell in it, there you shall offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening at sunset at the time you came out of Egypt. And you shall cook it and eat it at the place the Lord your God will choose, and in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. For six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. So this is the Passover feast, and it commemorates Israel's escape from Egypt, which is one of the most important formative milestones in their history. Maybe probably the most important milestone in their history. So God says, we're going to set a festival, a feast that you guys keep every single year to commemorate this moment. So that you never forget. How many know that especially when things aren't so great, it's easy to forget the good things that have happened in your life? It's easy for us to become consumed by the pain of the moment. One of the ways we can escape that is to remember the goodness of God in our past. So, the ancient Hebrews followed these feasts. And Passover wasn't the only one. They followed the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Booths. And every one of these, rooted in there is this recognition of God's provision, of God's love for them, of God's grace. Because life is hard. I mean, the Israelites, they went through a lot of bad stuff. A lot of it self-inflicted, some of it not. Much of the Old Testament is about Israel being conquered and asking God, God, why are we conquered again? Like, didn't you bring us out of Egypt? Like, now here we are. Well, we're conquered again. Well, how did that happen? Much of the Bible is told from the perspective of conquered people, not from conquerors. That's why Americans sometimes have trouble really understanding what that's like. Israel's holding on to this milestone of deliverance. And if you read through the law of Moses, it's very formative. God goes back to this over and over again. Why are you doing this? Because you used to be a slave in Egypt and now you're not. Why do you, why do you observe the Sabbath? Because you used to be a slave in Egypt and now you're not. Over and over again. So that they would never forget. It pays for us to set those milestones in our head. Maybe we need to do something like celebrate our baptism every year. Maybe it wouldn't hurt to do it with our kids to celebrate that time when they gave their heart to Christ. Or something else. Maybe it wouldn't hurt to throw a feast because God provided a home or we found a great job. And we can look back and celebrate God's provision. Every year for the next however long I'm alive, I'll be celebrating 
a little girl that God brought into my life. But aside from those things, we can make this a big deal for us. You see, when you're in a relationship, like a, what, my relationship with Emily, we're, uh, we're going on, we're like four and a half years married. And uh, it's funny how even just at four and a half years, it's easy to become twisted. You know, like a couple of things are here or there are said, you know, Emily's not as nice to me as I think she should be, <laughs> whatever that means. And of course, I had nothing to do with that. I'm perfect. <laughs> yeah, my, my dad's going to lose it over there. <laughs> and what happens? I can tell a story in my head that's not anywhere near reality, but it's because I've forgotten all about the good things that were part of our lives. I forgot about the things she did just two days ago, where she stayed up with the baby and I didn't have to. She let me go to sleep. Or the thing she did the other day, where she cooked, she somehow cooked dinner one-handed. I don't know how she did that. It's very impressive. I can't do that. We lose sight of all the good things sometimes if we don't hold on to them, if we don't take an effort to hold on to them. Milestones in our lives are the building blocks of faith. Because they're the result of a life lived with God. We can be in love with a book if we like, but the book's purpose is to get us in touch with the living God. And so we need to connect ourselves with the things God has done in our lives, those moments of provision, those moments of grace, those moments of forgiveness, those moments where a person who is very important to us, who is unexpected, now is in our lives. Israel understood this. There's another weird thing Israel did, at least it's weird to me. I'm bordering on sacrilege, but it's still weird to me. The food loss thing, right? Let's go to Leviticus chapter 11. I mean, it's crazy. This list is unbelievable. It's, it's incredible. I just got to tell you. It's incredible. Leviticus 11. We're just going to read a few verses, but we could literally read this forever. It's incredible, the, the list of things that the ancient Hebrews couldn't, couldn't eat. Chapter 11, verses 3 to 8. Whatever parts of the hoof, whatever, I'm sorry, whatever parts of the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals, you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger... What's a rock badger? Does anyone know what a rock badger is? I don't know what a rock badger is. Because it's a possum. Dad says it's a possum. Because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. And so we're like, Why? Right? What is going on? What is the point? The point is, the ancient Israelites belonged to God. And their diet made them separate from everyone else around them. Now, if we continue to read, there are plenty of things in there that are also kind of nasty. And so not eating them was probably good for them not to eat them. 
But the primary reason is to set the Israelites apart. God says that the Hebrews were supposed to be his possession. His. And so every time a Jew didn't eat pork or ate a certain thing, he was proclaiming that he was God's. He was proclaiming that he belonged to God, that we are the people of God. What, what habits in our lives proclaim that we belong to God? What little things in our lives? You know, we, uh, a lot of times, a favorite whipping boy in American Protestantism is to go after rituals. You know, well, I left that church because they're too ritualistic for me. Well, what do you mean by that? Because some rituals are pretty valuable. Marriage is a ritual. We just did one, communion. I mean, churches have their rituals and their patterns, right? We, we have constructed our service a certain way. There are some places where if you, if you move something in a service, well, you just should pack your bags. <laughs> you have sinned. You need to go confess to somebody and repent and then how never even think of changing anything again. That's ritual. That's tradition, right? We're very quick to go after the traditions of others because we don't like those. What we've really done is trade away traditions we don't like and grab down to traditions we do like. But these traditions and rituals, not, they're not all bad. I mean... Is it wrong to, through something that you do every day or something you do every few days or whatever, to proclaim that you belong to God? I mean, is that really bad? Now, if it's just something we do, right? Where it's, oh, I just got to do this thing. Well, then it becomes a problem. So what in your own family life? Maybe do we spend time in prayer? Do we have family traditions? Do we have certain practices that we do that tell other people who we are, that exude the character of, of what God is trying to do in us? It's easy just to live our lives, right? We just live life, and it just goes. I can't even believe that seven weeks have passed since my daughter was born. It's ridiculous. It went so fast. It's already July 2nd. I don't even know what happened to June. Like, I feel like I went to sleep May 31st and woke up today. <laughs> Ridiculous. It just rockets by. And half the time, what happens? We stand at some point in time and we look back and go, I wasted a lot of that time. Or where did that go? What if we were a little more intentional about creating family traditions or creating things in our family life, in our own families and in our church life, where we can embrace that we belong to God? Marriage. A ritual that we still perform. It's an extremely old, old ritual. Instituted by God. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2.
Genesis 2, 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is at last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of the man. Therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. When you see uh, the father bring the bride down the aisle, he's reenacting Genesis 2 when God brought Eve to Adam. Marriage is a mystery because it's not just, it's not only this union, but it's also something that calls out to the union that will come between God and man. The two will become one flesh. It echoes the nature of God's relationship to us. Now, some of you might think that's crazy. So just bear with me. I'm going to read just one of these, but there are a few if you want to know what they are later. I just don't want to keep you forever listening to me talk. I promise at some point it will get tiresome. I get tired of listening to myself talk sometimes. Isaiah 62, 4 and 5. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall be no more termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. This is all over the Old Testament. God over and over and over uses marriage to, de to describe his relationship to Israel. Now, a lot of times he's doing it out of frustration because Israel is kind of like the wayward wife who just kind of wanders off and does what she wants. And so God positions himself as the faithful husband that says, yeah, come back to me. I love you. I'm your husband. Over and over and over. This is all over the scriptures. It's in Hosea. It's in other places in Isaiah. It's in Jeremiah. It's in most of the prophets. Every time a couple gets married, at least for the Jews, this is what they're doing. They're celebrating the union of God to his people, and they're celebrating the union of the two people together. We use rituals, we use milestones, not only to remember what God has done, but to celebrate what God is doing. But we also can use them as a way to hope forward to what God will do. God provided for me here, he can provide for me then. God was with me in this pain. He'll be with me in this pain. Israel was the same way. If you go through that, like Psalm 89, 1 through 4, right? It opens with the, the writer calling out to the goodness of God. And 
by verse 4, he's talking about the future goodness of God. And who's that person? He says, you will bring your offspring, the son of David. Who's that guy? It's Jesus. So you see, God, because he's real clever this way, God takes the milestones in our lives and he uses them as a way for us to understand what he's doing when our present or with our future. Okay? So great examples of this are in the Gospels. All right? So we'll start again with marriage. This is actually my favorite one. I probably should have saved this for last, but it is my favorite one because it's one almost nobody seems to notice. Okay? So Jesus, right, when he's walking around in the Gospels, he's not walking around saying, oh, I'm God, worship me. Right? It's not there. He's not saying, oh, I'm God. You should get down on your knees and worship me. Not there. But like, you know, if, if you think of him in terms of the way we see most superhero movies, that's what he should be doing. He should be like, look at me. I saved the world. You know, like Tony Stark. Iron Man. You guys see Iron Man 2? Right? Hilarious. Especially the opening. I have privatized world peace. I, it was really funny to me. But... <laughs> It's not really Jesus' style, okay? <laughs> so instead, he's much more subtle. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verse, we'll start with verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? And Jesus said to them, Now, okay, this is such a weird response, right? It is. It's a weird response. Can... Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. But to the ancient Israelites, who is the bridegroom? God. So Jesus calls himself the bridegroom and says that we're at a wedding. the two will become one flesh. He's telling us who he is and why he's here. He's using the milestone of the past. He's using the ritual that everybody does. And he's using it to tell us who he is and why he's here. I am the bridegroom. I'm your husband. I've come to you. And now we're going to be joined together. The food laws. Right? Mark chapter 7. Now again, to us, we're like, oh, well, who, who obeys that stuff? But remember, this is a part of the Jewish identity. This is, how they, this is how they tell the world we're the people of God. Chapter 7, verses 14 through 19. And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. So Jesus is taking one of the big... Because the average person, you know, is not going to be as devout as your typical Pharisee, but they're probably going to obey the food laws. He takes the thing that people use to define themselves as the people of God, and he says, yeah, this is done. We're done with this now. He redefines it around himself. 
he calls out 12 disciples, the 12 tribes of Israel. He reconstitutes what it means to be the people of God around himself. And he uses the food laws, which the ancient Hebrews used to use to define themselves as the people of God. And he says, that's not how we're going to do that anymore. Something new is coming. This is who God is. He takes the things that we think we know, the things he used to do. He says, look, you trusted me then. All right, I'm doing something else now. Trust me. This, this is still the same thing. Trust me. It's going to look different, though. And then there's Passover. Passover is about freedom from slavery. It's about the return from exile. Because in, in this time period when Jesus is around, right, the, the Hebrews had been conquered by, like, everybody, And so the Passover is about this freedom from slavery. And so Jesus, look, he, he could have chosen to get himself killed any point in the calendar. But he, he sticks it to the Pharisees just right during Passover. He wants us to see what he's doing through the grid of Passover. So then he takes Passover, and what does he do? He redefines it around himself. And we have the Last Supper. We just read it this morning. We celebrate communion. What is communion? It's really Passover redefined around Jesus. The forgiveness of sins, the freedom from slavery the return from our exiled state. Yeah. <coughs> Jesus takes the things that we know, he sticks himself in the middle of them, and then he challenges us to look forward with him and say, all right, do you trust me? Because I'm going to do something that makes you uncomfortable. Look, it was uncomfortable for Jesus to walk around calling himself the bridegroom. I mean, just from our point of view, that's kind of weird. But from their point of view, that's pretty blasphemous. It says, I'm doing something new. The same character as the old. That's why... I he quotes the Old Testament so much, but it's something new. As we walk through our lives, if we build milestones with those moments, those times when God is faithful, those times when God is good, then we can build a narrative of walking with God. Then, when things don't look so great, and we're asking God, why? Why is this a good idea? Like, did you have a day off? Did you go on vacation? Like, what's going on? <laughs> we can take a breath and go, all right, he was faithful before. And I don't get this. This is strange to me, but he was faithful before, and I will trust him. Because, look, being a Christian is not having, like, believing the correct 25 things. Right? You believe the correct 25 things, you say a special word, you sing some songs, you give some money, and you hang on until you die. 
Right, that's not what being a Christian is. Being a Christian is walking with your creator. Being a Christian is reflecting the glory of God into the world. We can't do that if we feel like God's never done anything for us. That phrase, what have you done for me lately? Think in your head how many things God has done in your life. Hopefully it's more than a handful that you can think of. Those of you who have kids or when you were a kid, remember when you were a kid and whenever mom and dad said no, it was the worst thing in the world. Like the sky was falling, the world is ending, the, your room, your bedroom is going to open up in the middle and swallow you whole. Like that's what's going to happen. Mom and dad don't love you, they don't care about your needs or wants, and they just want you to suffer. Right? Right. Somehow, somehow, all the things your mom and dad did up to that point just magically don't exist. Right? You just ate a great meal that your mom made. She could have just microwaved something. That didn't happen. She took the time to cook it. You just, when you were a kid, you know, you spit up on your parents and you ruined their clothes. And I'm experiencing this right now, by the way. <laughs> my, my daughter spit on me five minutes before we were supposed to leave to come here. And then she made a mess of her car seat while we were here. It was great stuff. And so, like, all of those things... They just go away. And all we think about is the bad thing that, that mom and dad did or, or the thing we wanted that they didn't let us have. And that's all we think of. Look, we do this to God. God doesn't guarantee that our life is going to be bumpless. That there's nothing bad's going to happen. Plenty of bad stuff is going to happen. You got up, you, woke, you, want, you don't want anything bad to happen to you, don't get out of bed. <laughs> Otherwise, bad stuff is going to happen. The question is, what are we holding on to? Are we going to hold on to this bad stuff? Or are we going to hold on to what God has done in our lives that is good? And we're going to trust Him. And then, can we have vision for the future based on what God has done in the past? These are the questions we should be asking. Not how many angels fit on the head of a pin. Who cares? The important question is, can I trust God to lead me today into tomorrow because of what he's done yesterday? That is where our faith is. That's where it's forged. As families, I want to encourage you to purposefully build these milestones in your life together. Go on trips together. Set up annual traditions that you do. Maybe some of you guys do that stuff. We have a, you know, our family has some of our traditions. We do them at Christmas time or whatever. How about not that? I know a family, they're really cool people. They don't give, the adults in the family don't give each other gifts on their birthdays. Instead, they just have these random because I love you gifts that just happen throughout the year. 
It's like a family tradition. It's pretty cool. Like, seriously, the, the, they'll just pull up in the car. Here, I have something for you. That's it. Kind of cool. Family tradition that they practice. What has God done? Do you belong to him, and can you trust him for the future? These are the questions. We set milestones in our lives. They will help us answer those questions. So I want to encourage you, and I want to challenge you, to purposefully set those milestones in your life, that you can grow your walk with God, that you, be, you can become more and closer to Him. Because if you're in Christ, you are literally an intersection of heaven and earth. I mean, you've heard me say it a million times, I will never get tired of saying it. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. You carry heaven with you. Carry it with you. Embrace it. Walk with God and savor what he does and use it as an anchor to think about your future and to move forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this time together as a church family. Lord, we pray that uh, you would be with us as we celebrate uh, Independence Day with our families together. Lord, we pray that you would uh, bless us through this week, that you would make us an emissary of heaven to the people around us, that we would bring the presence of God with us wherever we happen to be. And Lord, that you would remind us what you have done so that we can look forward to the future for what you will do. And we give you thanks and praise in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. Thank you. Thank you.